Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. This is part six in our series on responding to your questions and comments. In light of our killing series, which was a little while ago, we considered whether Christians should kill the old, the young, enemies, or criminals. However, we never addressed the morality of God killing. Brian wrote in and asked, Can I expect a subsequent episode where you discuss a sort of divine-inflicted death? For example, the event with Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, also the deaths of Ananias and his wife Sapphira in Acts 5? If yes, wonderful. If no, then perhaps you could consider it. Hopefully in a future episode, we can delve much more deeply into this important subject. But for now, here is a brief response to this significant question. On Oscar episode 37, Killing Criminals, A Christian View of Capital Punishment, Brian wrote, This has been an interesting and thought-stimulating series you guys have done. Thank you for that. Can I expect a subsequent episode where you discuss sort of divine-inflicted death, for example, the event with Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, also the deaths of Ananias and his wife Sapphira in Acts 5? If yes, wonderful. If no, then perhaps you could consider it. Brian, thanks so much for writing in. I wanted to offer some provisional remarks here, and then uh, hopefully in the future we will be able to consider some of these specifics more in depth. But first of all, I want to say that it's bound up in God's very functions that he is the one who determines life, the one, the one who is the author of life and death. I did not always believe this, by the way. I, I used to believe in what's called the idiom of permission, which is the idea that Satan was just like a rabid dog on a chain, always seeking to devour, and that once in a while God would just sort of like let that chain out a little bit, and Satan would do all the killing in the Bible. Until I discovered this verse in Deuteronomy 32:39, which says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill... I make alive, I wound, and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So for me, this text was so strong, and it really helped me to understand that God claims sovereignty over life. Ultimately, in the end, no matter if you live a full life or a very short life, in the end, you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And... God reserves the right to allow you to continue living or not. <laughs> and that's part of what it means to be God, is that he has that role to play. And I'm so thankful he does have that role to play, and that he's such a good God and so merciful and so loving. But at the same time, he does hold the rights to the patent of humans. And he's a creator, and he, saw, and he claims sovereignty. Let me read this text again. See that now that I, even I am he, there is no God besides me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Ultimately, God claims rights over people. Now, as far as uh, the specifics of Nadab and Abihu and Ananias and Sapphira, Nadab and Abihu, for those of you who don't remember, were the sons of... Aaron. Aaron had four sons. There's also Eleazar and Ithamar. They were all being ordained. You had Aaron, Nadab, Bihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. Going through the ordination process, which takes about a week, 
in the tabernacle area. They get anointed, and they're supposed to say, stay in that sacred space for that entire time. Everything God's setting up at this time, in the book of Leviticus and the second half of Exodus, everything God is setting up at this time is a precedent for what is going to go on later on. So Aaron is the first high priest. This is his ordination ceremony. This is the ordination of the very first high priest. And then Nadab and Abihu and uh, Eleazar and Ithamar are going to be also priests, not the high priest, but also priests. And then their descendants and so on for generations to come. God knows that. He's setting up something new. And he is so careful to give specific details as to what kind of clothes to wear, what kind of oil to use for anointing, what kind of animals to sacrifice, and so on. God is very careful to express in a thousand different ways through this part of the law, the part of the law, that He is holy, He is separate, and if you want to come near Him, just like going, uh, looking at the sun, you have to cover your eyes partially, because God is holy, he, but He is also dangerous, and you want to come close to God, you want to come within the tabernacle fence, then you want to come within that sacred courtyard, and then you want to get even closer, you want to go in the, the tabernacle itself, and then to the Holy of Holies, the closer you get to God's proximity and holiness, the more in danger you are, just mm. because of the fact that He is so pure and so powerful. I mean, think of, think of it like the sun. The closer you get to the sun, the more protection you need. And God has provided these gracious ways of relating to Him, this is even before Jesus died for our sins. So nobody's died for anybody's right. sins yet. It's like a nuclear reactor. You right. can be on the outside of the nuclear reactor, and then you can be inside the facility, and then you can be inside the, you know, the housing structure, and then you can be inside the core, and you're dead. <laughs> well, exactly. That's, that's, a, that's a perfect parallel, because the closer you want to get to that nuclear reaction, the more precaution you have to take. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be really close to it, you better have all kinds of like lead and temperature regulation and other stuff that will keep you from dying. Because, uh, let's face it, that thing is so powerful. So it is with God. So he, he sets up this whole system, this tabernacle system, so that there can be some of the people who represent the rest of the people to come before and mediate and go between and offer the sacrifices and that God can sort of dwell in the midst of his people. And these boys, Nadab and Abihu, use strange fire. They innovate, they ad-lib, they alter what God said he wanted, and God acted decisively and permanently. And he said, that's it, no. You're not going to treat me in an unholy way. And he killed them right on the spot. They dropped dead. So it's very similar, and it's interesting how Brian brought this up, to Ananias and Sapphira. Very similar kind of thing. Now instead of setting up the tabernacle, we're setting up the new way of relating to God. He, he's setting up the church and... There's no more animal sacrifices, but you still have offerings. And what is an offering? It's a financial offering. And Ananias and Sapphira are bringing a financial offering to God for this new thing. And there is corruption in their heart. They're saying they gave all of it, and they really are only giving part of it. They're lying to God. So, so there's deception. There's, there's a false spirit within their hearts. And yet they're, they're, they're doing this seemingly very godly thing. And this is, just like the other incident, this is setting a precedent for going forward with Christianity. What is going to be acceptable, what's going to be not acceptable. And Jesus had already taught that God cares more about your heart than your gift. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if somebody goes to uh, the altar to make an offering, and there 
they remember that their brother has something against them. He says, go, first be reconciled to your brother and then make the offering, which is very, it's the strongest way you can say it. Because he doesn't say, there you realize you have an issue with your brother. He mm-hmm. says, you have, your brother has an issue with you. So don't, don't start worshiping God and offering to God if you know that someone's got beef with you and you haven't done what you should do to make it right. Now, obviously, if you do everything you can and they want to still be your enemy for whatever reason, then you can't control them. But um, when it comes to Ananias and Sapphira, they're disregarding all of that. They're, they're going to the altar of God in an act of worship in a grandiose way with a big sum of mon- money. And they're, they're phonies inside. When talking about the cases in which God strikes people down, I think the case of Uzzah is very illustrative because whether or not you intend, Ananias and Sapphira were, were intending to deceive. They were intending to look good in front of people, and that's why God struck them down. But in the case of Uzzah, I don't think Uzzah was, had any kind of, I think it was a reaction of him that he, the cart was tipping with, with the Ark of the Covenant on it, and he tried to save it. There's, there's honorable intent in that. He wasn't trying to you know, look good, or he wasn't going against some sort of Levitical law. But the reason that Uzzah died is because the Israelites and David did not properly take care of the transport of the Ark of the Covenant as they were instructed to do. So I don't think God, I think God's nature is immutable and non-negotiable. Uzzah could not have survived that encounter because of God's nature. He touched the Ark of the Covenant and he was struck down. So whether or not you intend to deceive or regardless of where your heart is, God is God and his nature is his nature and there's no negotiating with it. Yeah, that would be like going right next to the sun and getting out of the spaceship and what do you think is going to happen? Right. The sun doesn't care like what your heart... Like, I love you, sun. Okay, <laughs> well, you're melted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's interesting. I, I will just add this, Dan, to that, is, which is that there was a law that if you touch it, you will die. Oh, right. Yeah, there was. Mm-hmm. I, I believe there was a law like that. And Yeah, I mean, it's amazing they got it onto the it? cart at all. Yeah, uh, that point. see if you can find it down. I'm not sure. But uh, the, the rule was that you're supposed to cover the ark with the veil. So, and only from the other side. So, like, you're looking at the veil, and then behind the veil is the ark of the covenant. So, you detach the veil from the ceiling. You, mm-hmm. you still never see the ark. Right. Like, the people who put the veil on it never see it. And then you're supposed to immediately cover it with goat skin or blue or I don't remember what, but like some <laughs> other fabric. Or maybe then, badger skin. Yeah, I think it was like blue uh, fabric and then another layer of like goat skin on top of it. So this thing is like triple covered up. It's got poles that stick out of it. Nobody is nobody is supposed to touch the ark. Not the high priest on the Day of Atonement doesn't touch it. He flicks blood with, with fear in his heart. He flicks blood mm-hmm. on, on, the, on the, the mercy seat, the top, the lid of the ark. So, yeah, I mean, I think God is very sensitive when it comes to how he set up worship, how he set up, he, how he wants people to relate to him. And we need to take that very seriously. But in the end, Romans 6.23 is, is, is a clear principle. The wages of sin is death. You want to sin, you forfeited your right to be free of God's judgment. Okay? <laughs> I don't know if there is such a right anyhow. But uh, my point is, yeah. you, in that moment, you earn death. And if God doesn't kill you, then it's just his mercy. And nobody's amazed but with his mercy. We're just amazed when his justice strikes. And maybe we should have a a change of, of point of view on that.
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whether you die old or you die young, whether it's your own doing or God's doing or just a freak accident, in the end, you're still going to stand before God. And he, he reserves the right to judge. That's what it means to be God. So sometimes the, the, those judgments come before the day of judgment. And sometimes your sins follow you into, into the judgment. The only verse I found was um, Numbers 4.15. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, then the, yeah. when the camp is to set out, after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath yeah, are yeah, to carry. Right there where it says, uh, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. Mm-hmm. Right. The NIV says, only then are the, are the Kohathites to come. So, that, so it's... That's, that's exactly it. So this, this law is on the books for hundreds of years before Uzzah. Yeah. And... You know, I don't know if he was of Kohath or not, but like, let's say he even was. I mean, putting your hand on the ark like a, a dude put his hand out the window to steady a mattress while he's driving down the road. I mean, that's just not treating it in a holy way. Yeah. It's like, oh, don't worry, God, I and got you. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter how innocently it was done. I mean, it violated God's law, and Uzzah was killed to preserve God's holiness. It, that's just the fact of the matter. That was God's nature. And, yeah. and a lot of these... Uh, violence of God things that we can look at, which we won't right now, but uh, hopefully in the future. There is this great equalizer to keep in mind, which is ultimately God is the judge mm. in the end. So even if somebody suffered death early now, he could still give that person eternal life in the age to come. And he has just a different perspective on things than we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're like ants who spend our entire lives on one little mound of dirt, busy as can be one gumball underneath one desk <laughs> <laughs> and and god sees it all and who, who knows what else he sees beyond what we even know about yeah i mean you start thinking about the spiritual realm you start thinking about how big the universe is like who even knows what god sees it's huge mm-hmm. and so we have to trust that his perspective is accurate says <laughs> my ways are above your ways right mm-hmm. right when the scriptures it says you know with well, the thing formed with well, a pot sage the potter you know mm-hmm. what are you doing you know, come on. There has to be a humility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all I had to say about that. Any last uh, comments, Rose or Dan? I just think it's important to remember this um, in an age where we have really tried to tame God. You mm. gave an incredible teaching years ago, Sean, that, about perceptions of God. And some of them were like vending machine God, mm. cheerleader God, um, and this, these sorts of things where we can almost like think we can manipulate God, to, maybe like along the lines of the social gospel. But, you know, what we think about um, in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where they, it, they talk about Aslan, but really that's talking about God, where they say he's not tame, but he's good, and he is just, and we have to remember all that, and he, he owes us nothing, and he's gone so far above and beyond to extend mm-hmm. to us the grace um, that he had, the, for the mercy with salvation, and then, like, the grace of the kingdom, like, above and beyond what God has extended to us, but at least for me, like, knowing that he is not tame in the way that we would have our, tw- you know, if we were to build God in 21st century, you bet he'd be, like, super tame, and he'd probably be cheerleader and vending machine God, but that is not the God we have, and that, like you said, that's why he's God, that's why we have the reverence, that's why we have the respect, um, because he kills and makes alive. Well, thanks for tuning in. This concludes our Q&A series. You can check out previous questions and answers in the show notes. We have a link to the others in this series. Also, if you have ideas for future series and episodes that you would like us to cover, why not come on to restitutio.org and leave a comment? 
Uh, you can find this episode, Off Script 47, Is God's Violence in the Old Testament Wrong? And leave a comment there and give us any kind of show ideas you have for future episodes. We'd appreciate it. We've got something in the works, but I don't want to say too much about it right now. On Off Script 38, Killing in War, a Christian View of Violence, Richie Temple wrote in and said, Interesting presentation and discussion, and with humility. Unfortunately, I must admit, I disagree on multiple points on biblical grounds. Instead, I believe that just war reasoning is the most biblically accurate position for a Christian to hold as regards war. Since the subject is too vast, I'll just say that two recommended resources on this that are very biblically grounded and that I agree with are, one, the ESV Study Bible, and two, In Defense of War by Nigel Bigger. These deal with all the points and issues you presented, and though you're probably familiar with many of the points made, I think you'd find some new and quite interesting points as well. Blessings. Well, Richie, I hope you're listening to this. I appreciate you taking the time to write in. I don't personally own an ESV study Bible or this uh, this other book. I would really appreciate it since you have already availed yourself of these two specific resources that you could outline the argument that these works make in response to what I've done above, because not only have I done this particular episode you responded to, but also in an earlier episode, episode number 15, called A Theology of Nonviolence, I laid out a full position on this subject where I interact with pretty much all of the relevant scriptures, both for and against, and stake out a very strong position. I've got at least a dozen books on this subject. So this is something that is of great interest to me that I care about very deeply. So if you could uh, be so kind as to express what it is that these works have that comes against what I've already put out here, I would be so appreciative. Thanks for tuning in, and I appreciate your comment. Hope that I can hear from you again. If you've been listening to this podcast on the internet, why not subscribe to the podcast in a podcast app? This way you can get new episodes as they come out, automatically downloaded for you, and you can also scroll through and see what's come before. This is good for listening in the car or while you're cooking or while you're out out and about or exercising. So uh, if you haven't yet, please subscribe. Also, if it's not too much trouble, we would love it if you could if you could take the time to give us a review in iTunes or Stitcher or whatever way you listen to these podcasts, a review really helps others to be able to find this podcast. The more reviews, the better. So thank you to those of you who have already done this. We really appreciate it. And if you haven't yet, why not today? We would certainly be thankful. That's it for today. And we'll see you next time as we seek to get off the world script and live out authentic Christianity.